the the point is the Chinese would love to have a consumer oriented economy, but they can't get there. Why would they love to have a consumer oriented economy? Because if you don't have a consumer oriented economy, your economic well being is totally dependent on other countries. In the United States, our economic well being is dependent upon us. People in the United States make or break the United States economy because we are a consumer based economy. We make things, we assemble things, we import things to sell to consumers in the United States. We don't make things to export to someplace else. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Uh, good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And welcome back to another exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will say such things as... Yeah, nothing? Nothing. We're, that's, oh. That happened at the end of last hour, so we thought we, thought we would repeat it uh, and give you uh, such exciting uh, recaps of our blank and silent times. Yes, very well done. Uh, well, we are back, and we have a bunch of stuff lined up. You can have the first whack at a uh, a subject, if you would like. What are you going to talk about? Well, a lot of people have been looking into why we have had this burst of inflation. And uh happened, the, the head of the IMF, in the International Monetary Fund, and I, I, I've read his analysis, and I thought, yeah, that's probably right. It was an interesting combination. And the reason I think it's not the simplistic answers that other people have come up with is because fundamentally it happened in the Eurozone, it happened in the United Kingdom, and it happened in the United States. And when you take a look at whatever they said caused inflation, of course, initially a lot of people said, well, it was a stimulus. Well, two of the three I just mentioned didn't have a stimulus. Uh, it was uh, high unemployment, people staying home, and then uh, going back to work and the surge. Well, if you look at the unemployment rate in Europe and United Kingdom, it never jumped. It rose a little bit and then it came back down. It jumped tremendously in the United States. So whatever it was that caused inflation had to apply equally to the United States, the United Kingdom, and the Eurozone. And the only thing that applied collectively to all of those was a combination of a supply shock because China, first the, the logjam of, of stuff being sent places cranked up against a wall, but China then shut down, and suddenly there was a shortage of the goods that people needed to buy or wanted to buy, uh, while they were still flush with money from not spending it earlier. Uh, and the other thing that happened is a natural reaction coming out of a of a pandemic as people burst out into the world spending money because they couldn't spend money before. Um, and and it's what happened was. And I talk about going out to eat. We a big chunk of inflation came for the fact that we swarmed the restaurants. The rest, the, the number of us that went out to eat, uh, as soon as we felt comfortable that the uh, pandemic was behind us, were roughly twice the number of people who were going out to eat before on a given night because we went out to eat almost immediately because we wanted to go out to eat. We we're tired of cooking, eating home cooked food. Uh, so you, you have to tie all of these things together. Let me give you another tie-in. In China, okay. they didn't have that same surge. They certainly didn't. They went to getting groceries at a higher rate, but they didn't go out to eat because they didn't get paid in that time period. Yeah, they didn't get the stimulus, and so and they and their lockdown lasted lasted a lot longer than ours did. 
we came out of it still semi-sane, though if you'd asked us at the time, we would have said, no way, we're cooped up and crazy. Well, the Chinese came out a little bit more frazzled than we did. And this is just my impression from reading a lot, but the Chinese came out of it with the impression that it could happen again at any moment because it was arbitrary. They were released and then locked down and then released and then locked down in local areas. Right. And this Uh, ties into something that's happened over the last decade rather than just over the pandemic as we know it. They had other events prior, so it's completely conceivable for them to get locked down again at any moment. Yeah, and it's... They lost faith in their government, and losing faith in the government is a bad thing. Believe it or not, we here in the United States have a great deal of faith in our government, and a lot of people who claim they don't. But we cruise along and assume the older people who do a lot of voting, obviously, assume that their Social Security check will come in. They assume that the Defense Department will continue to guard our borders. They assume the United States government will not suddenly come break down their door and put them in prison for no particular reason at all. Or, or even this one. I mean, if you, th- this is great because the, the both ends of the spectrum think government overreach is really strong. Both ends, the extreme liberal and the extreme conservative. Um, if it had, if, if we were really in that scenario, those of you that have big banners in your yard calling the president names or prior to that, the last president names, that would be your door is getting flattened to the ground and you're out of there. So those are the two groups of people that say that the government is too powerful and they're taking away our rights. It's very different in China. You put up a big, um, don't blame me, I voted for who <laughs> instead of Xi. Uh, yeah, you'll go to prison. Um, so the, even a bumper sticker that you put on your car giving a political statement, says that we don't have the same issues that they have in China or in, in Russia. I mean, it doesn't mean we shouldn't keep continuing to fight to keep our rights. That's why we still have them. But let's not compare ourselves to China and think that we're being accurate. It's not the same. I mean, I, I drive by on the way to, to my kid's school. Every, every time I go to drop her off, I drive by... Um, uh, Biden gave me something donkey pox. That's what it was. And um, Biden owes me a tank of gas or you know, things like that. And in other countries that would put you in prison. So the same people that are so anti-government and are afraid that the government is using its, its might to fight political opponents, which is a valid fear. It, the might to fight political opponents historically when dictators form themselves, it doesn't start with their main political opponents. It starts with individuals in communities that have signs in their yards. You get enough of them disappeared, and nobody complains when you disappear their, their person that they voted for. So that's the deal. We're not seeing that. We're not seeing houses being busted into by the government and disappearing people that disagree with the government, uh, which is fantastic. And it's strange that I have to remind people that that's fantastic, but it is not normal for the majority of the rest of the planet. Uh, please remember, those of you that are angry and were willing to move away because of whichever president was elected, that wherever you go might have significantly less rights than what you have here. Oh, now, now that I have, should we start singing the anthem? Talking about how wonderful it is. Um, I mean, it is, it is the 4th of July it, weekend. weekend. It is. And, and we do love our country. And uh, there's plenty of weaknesses in our country. Uh, I just tend to think 
combine all the weaknesses and all the strengths, and I'm still really glad I live where I do. There. That, that was my uh, eco-speech, economic uh, patriotism there. You've got to have, well, we have weaknesses and we have strengths, and instead of just pure patriotism, we have no weakness. Um, Speaking of ups and downs in the economy, we've been, I, we, we, I'm very strong tendency to pat us on the back, although it would hurt me to pat my own back. I've got a shoulder brace if you need it. It's, it's worth Good. it if you want to pat yourself. I, I can do it for you if you want. For the past six months, we've been saying, nope, doesn't look like we're having a recession, doesn't look like we're going to have a recession. And finally, the majority is coming around and to say, yep, by the way, like we're going to have a recession. This has not been an easy position to keep. I have people heatedly argue with me about that or say, Jake, you're just too optimistic. I'm like, no, it just doesn't look like a recession. Uh, go, go ahead. <laughs> the United States economy continues to be very healthy. I'm confident if the Fed raises interest rates another half a percent through 2.25% increases, things will slow down and we will have a period of relatively low growth. But you have to bear in mind that the low growth that we are probably going to experience maybe in the second half of the year is coming off of a period we had, where we had unusually high growth. So between the two of them, we come back to a median, a very nice median. And, and any, um, any way you look at it, when you compare yourself to what you were three years ago, you're going to find a great deal of improvement. Yeah. And the United States economy, in fact, I, in The Economist, I read an article, has American exceptional, exceptionalism gone away? During the during the recession associated with the uh, with COVID, no, it hasn't. We're different. We're obviously very different from Europe. We're very different from China. We're very different from Japan, and we approach things very differently. And what we're seeing, and and I don't think I can say this often enough or loud enough, the United States economy is in this position where we're trying to slow it down. The European economy is in a position where they're in a recession and they're trying to speed it up while at the same time fighting inflation, which is a very very hard thing to do. And generally, historically, attempting to fight inflation and a recession at the same time has come out unpleasantly, including in the United States when we had stagflation. Um, and the Chinese are, well, they may not have inflation, but they got a serious problem from about 20 different directions right Look, now. It looks more like deflation to me. They're having some serious issues that people are not spending money. And that causes the money to be worth more because it's not moving around. When it becomes worth more, it means that people get their pay cut, that their paycheck is, goes down because the money's worth more. But their bills on their mortgage stayed where it was when they signed their mortgage. Deflation's a lot more dangerous than inflation. Even hyperinflation isn't as bad as as hyperdeflation. You got real bad there. Bad, bad, bad. And a lot of, well, actually, during the Trump administration, he mentioned it on several occasions that he was upset that we that the Chinese made so much money off exports. And we make money because consumers buy things. Let By the me tell way, you, Biden, our, Biden says the same thing. Right. Yeah. Well, I didn't hear Biden say it, but I heard President Trump say it several times. The, the point is the Chinese would love to have a consumer-oriented economy, but they can't get there. Why would they love to have a consumer-oriented economy? Because if you don't have a consumer-oriented economy, your economic well-being is totally dependent on other countries. In the United States, our economic well-being is dependent upon us. People in the United States make or break the United States economy because we are a consumer-based economy. We make things, we assemble things, we import things to sell to consumers in the United States. We don't make things to export to someplace else. The Chinese are 
somewhat between a rock and a hard place because of their dependence upon the United States and Europe. Both the United States and Europe are decreasing the, the amount of stuff we're buying from China for those two reasons I mentioned earlier. And it is seriously hurting their economy. Can I, you, you want to say something, but I got something. Yeah, Go ahead and you say that. I, yeah. I got something to add to that. Okay, I'm going to tie something in here. When we talk about exports, we're talking about a physical product most often. And it's not that the United States doesn't manufacture physical products to send them out. We just net import a lot more than we export when you talk about a physical product. We've got some other things that we're exporting that aren't tracked well in the balance of trade or at all in some cases. Uh, one of our favorite subjects on that is the dollar. We manufacture the dollar and send it out and it's used as a purchasing media uh, a specie, if you will, even though it's not metal, to buy stuff that has nothing to do with the American economy from people that have nothing to do with the American economy. So that's an export. But we also have another extraordinarily massive export that kind of disappears because it doesn't pass borders the same way. And that's software or hardware on the cloud. We export a tremendous amount of value through, even if you look at subscriptions to Microsoft for their Office product or for their Windows on the cloud product in Europe and in uh, Asia and in Australia, there's a massive amount of export that's not really leaving the country, so it's not counted the same way. And if we were to put all of that stuff together, we are by far the largest exporter on the planet. But it's not tracked in the same sense that we track well, physical exports. You can't. It's, it's hard to track the fact that somebody is storing their data on a computer farm in the United States. Right, or paying a subscription fee in Ireland to a company based in the United States. Well, that's not an import to the United States because it happened in Ireland, but it's an American company yeah. whose profits are being shared across American shareholders. That's, that's absolutely true. Let me, the, I'm going to relate back to Roger's question a little bit. Um, both Putin and Xi are facing a serious problem, and that is the decline in their economic well-being. I realize China is still growing 5% this year in its GDP, but we've said this before, and, and we'll probably say it again. The Chinese have hit peak population and have started to shrink. Yeah. They have... This is really strange. India has just passed they them have, as the largest population on the planet. China has a shortage of young people. Now, here's where it gets weird. It has a shortage of young people, but it has 20% unemployment among the young people that it has a shortage of. Yeah. This indicates a, an economy that is severely out of balance. So why don't the older people retire? Why don't they get gone? Because they don't have Social Security. They don't have a Social Security program. They're living China. longer. There's a lot more of them. They're more skilled, and they have no social safe, no retirement options. They don't have Medicare. So they're not they hiring the youngsters. Security. So they're continuing to work. Uh, if you take it for a company and, and they have a very high loyalty index, uh, if a company hires somebody in China, they have a tendency to hang on to them anyway, uh, if they possibly can. This is a tie back to the and, communist concept of you're there for life. And, and the issue is that if you have an older person working for you and your employer in China and you get rid of that older person to hire a younger person, you may have just sentenced the older person to death. And on top of that, the older person has a skill set that is completely unmatched by the younger person who's been unemployed right. his entire adult life. Right. So this is what happens. 
Chairman G has bragged to his people again and again and again about the superiority of their government over our government because they don't have democracy. They don't have crazy people being being elected by crazy people. They just uh, have they, crazy people not being elected by crazy people. <laughs> well, <laughs> everybody's crazy somehow. Their methodology is uh, the Communist Party elects representatives who elect the president and give him his office for life. And they said that's far more stable. And there is an argument, a strong argument in favor of that. It goes all the way back to Plato. But still, I think that's pronounced. They essentially. Plato and Socrates. Okay. Socrates and Plato. Yeah, go ahead. Their their economy is suffering from top-downism. And anyone who's ever worked for a big corporation with with a dictatorial know-it-all boss knows the, uh, or a big organization like the Army, you know that when the generals get to fine-tuning what goes on down at the company in the platoon level, also things known as really get screwed up. Micromanagement, yes. Yes. And Chairman G got in, is involved in micromanagement. He is top-down. He is, everything is according to his diktat, although he usually gets upset if he's called a dictator. Yes, he, he uh, only dictates. He is not a dictator. Right. He doesn't so, actually say the things he's saying. That's what that means. I have said that we have three great socioeconomic uh, experiments going on. China is running it one way. Well, actually, you have to throw in Russia's too, which is another dictatorship. But China is running it top down. Uh, consensus, get rid of anybody who violates the consensus. Uh, the Europeans are running it sideways with nobody in charge, doing everything by committee. And in the United States, we have this peculiar mix of the two. Yeah, where we say in our, in our you're in charge and of democracy. You're in charge, but now the guy that believes the absolute opposite of you is in charge. <laughs> Let's do that again. Let's see what happens. It's great. Ah, uh, well, it's, we don't. <laughs> Basically, we don't do that. We have a chaotic economy where most people are doing pretty much what they want to do and griping that they're being too restricted in what is arguably the freest country, the least restrictive country in the world. Now, people will argue with me about that, but when we get down to the nitty gritty and we start talking about what you have to get the government's permission to do in other countries, Versus what you have to get the government's permission to do in America. You've, yeah, there's different you've areas. Really, real, you really realize very quickly that we are, by an order of magnitude, more free enterprise, more and have more freedom than any other country. For our economics. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Um, and I mentioned this when we're comparing prices of cars in China versus prices of cars here. And if you say, hey, if you can buy a car in China, you're as wealthy as if you can buy a car in the United States, except they don't have shatterproof windshields and they don't have airbags and they don't have power windows and they don't have air conditioning and um, they don't have crumple zones. And you go down this long list, they're not the same. You wouldn't, if they were both sitting on the same lot, you wouldn't buy them. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where I was going with this parallel. You had just said something. Sorry, lost my train. It just flew by a flying. You were train. saying that the purchasing price parity thing doesn't work, right? But I was comparing it to the thing you were just saying. You got to go back to that. It's well, it it boils down to the fact that uh, the quality of of what they have in China is way below the quality of what right. we have in the United States. Right. So in the parallel there. Um, that quality that they have there, which we would consider way below what we have here, is still far higher than what they had before. Mm -hmm. But the training for it isn't being handed down to the next generation because the older generation isn't giving up. And it isn't going to give up because they don't have any other place to go. So there's this 
really weird thing happening there. Uh, I want to come back to something that you said a minute ago about American exceptionalism and is it dead? the concept of American exceptionalism became something different than what it started as. What does it mean to be exceptional? And this word exceptional or exception uh, has taken on a different meaning than its original. It's kind of like the word awful. Exceptional and awful were both used as an adverb to define something else. Exceptionally good, exceptionally bad, awfully good, awfully bad, awfully amazing. Well, awful by itself now just means bad. Oh, that's awful. And exceptional by itself doesn't mean, it used to just mean different than other things. Now it means different than other things and better than other things. If you say that was exceptional, you don't have to say that was exceptionally good, although you could say it's exceptionally bad. It's kind of like the word luck. You sure are lucky. Well, you can have bad luck too, and that would still be lucky. So the word exceptional um, used to mean we're just different. And it seems to be working. Well, it's become like this concept. American exceptionalism means we're different and better. We're certainly different. And in a lot of ways, we are better. A lot of ways, we're not. And I know that's a tough thing to say. We've got a lot of areas that we need to improve. This is something, well, speaking internally, our medical system is pretty broken. We've got a lot of great research on that front. But the way we pay for it is not working. It's really, really, really messed up. It's in every direction. And you can't find anybody that says, no, it's fine. It's just good the way it is. It's a, don't, don't mess with it. It's good. Because nobody believes that. Uh, the same is true with how we pay for college. The Supreme Court just came out and said something that we warned everybody was going to happen. Uh, the president doesn't have the power to nullify debts to the United States. Unless the president's been given that power by Congress, because Congress is in charge of the purse. They're in charge of making money and spending money. And debts and obligations all fall under Congress, not the president. And, you know, we, we talk about this, and it sounds like this massive difference between Trump and Biden, but Trump was talking about forgiving student loans too. It's not constitutional. If we're going to forgive student loans, it has to be done by Congress. And if it's that popular, why isn't Congress doing it? Well, because we're kind of counting on the money. It's a massive asset for the United States government, which offsets some of our other debt. When people owe us money and we owe other people money, our net is a little bit better when they owe us as well. Congress doesn't want to get rid of that. And and there's a lot of stuff going on here. We've been talking to people for the whole time this has been coming out, referring back when Biden says, I'm going to forgive debt. Remember what he said during the campaign when he said, I don't think we can do it that way because it's not constitutional. Well, the Supreme Court agreed with him. (laughs) So that leaves us all, if you have student loans and they're going to come due, they're going to start being due in October. They're going to Hopefully be adding in a program they're promising to say if you're late during the first 12 months of that, it's not going to count against you in the same way. That's worth checking into. But what does that mean? It means that a lot of people that for almost four years now have not had to pay their student loans, they haven't had that as an outflow from their income, are going to have to start paying it again. Uh, During the pandemic, it was put on pause. Some degree of our inflation may have come from that money that was flowing out of your paycheck, out of your pocket to the government to pay off a debt 
where the government would then spend it on something that didn't make a lot of anything in the economy to you spending it on a restaurant. Well, that's going to stop. That means some of the money that we're spending right now is going to stop from October to October, 12-month period. We're going to see some of the money that we're, we're seeing sent, spent on the consumer side is going to go away. That leads to deflationary tendency, or in this case, disinflation. We're probably going to see some prices come down based on just that, because it's a pretty good amount of money every month that's going to come out of people's pockets. Uh, it's not going to be pleasant, but you guys, <laughs> I know a lot of people are upset. It's going to start up again and I have to pay this thing, but it's the same obligation you had before and you agreed to it. So I know people have been promising to just forgive it, but it's not something they had the power to do. It's kind of like if you go back to your student council election in high school, elect me as student body president and I will get rid of the lines in the lunchroom. The cafeteria will just know what you want to eat and give it to you as you sit down. It's a wonderful promise, but there's no way of actually making it happen. And that's what we had with the student loan forgiveness. You got to recognize sometimes when politicians are talking that what they're saying might not be the complete truth, maybe. That's pretty strong. <laughs> I know. I'm, 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 putting, I'm going out on a limb there by saying that. Maybe politicians might be a little dishonest occasionally. Mm. What do you think? I know that's pretty extreme for me to say something like that. It's really. Oh. <laughs> it's an interesting little transition that just took place, by the way. Uh, for the first time in American history, the southern states, the southern 13 states that were part of the Confederacy, are contributing more to the GDP than the northeastern states. Ooh. Does that mean the South has actually risen again in a better it way? Is. In a and way yeah, that, has, that doesn't has. have to do with racism and nastiness? Uh, wow. And there is a mass migration, as those of us who in Central Texas are recognizing, from the Northeast and from the West, from California to Texas. Texas right now has the biggest growth in its state revenue of any state in the United States over the last year. And we don't have an income tax. Uh, why? Well, because a lot of people are coming to Texas and buying things and paying the sales tax. That's what it boils down to. We had a $33 billion surplus this year, uh, whereas California had a 23 billion dollar deficit this year they're trying to figure out how to cut well we could just uh, send it to them right i don't think so that's what we do at the federal level i think it there's an interesting difference in philosophy here too governor newsom in in uh in california is trying to figure out how to cut spending because is there but they used to have a hundred billion dollar per year surplus through the pandemic and they kept raising spending to gobble up the surplus here in texas uh, our state legislature and governor are busy trying to figure out how to cut taxes so they don't make so much money. Fundamental difference in thought. Uh, a lot of people aren't real happy with the, with the current administration in Texas. Some people love them, but there are some people not real happy with them. But from a fiscal point of view, they're doing an excellent job. Uh, I can't talk about anything else, but because that's all we're qualified to talk about. We <laughs> try to stay out of politics. But from a unless fiscal point of view... Unless it's Russia or China, we, we get into their politics. We, we, we love pointing at them and saying, that's not how to do it. Well, it's an experiment. They are trying something that's never worked, but looks like it ought to work. Uh, a combination, basically a dictatorship, has never worked well for an economy, despite the fact that Plato said it ought to work really well. And theoretically, from the perspective of order versus chaos, 
a dictatorship or an absolute monarchy or something similar to that um, looks like it is far more workable than having a bunch of ignorant people vote and set policy through their voting. Um, but the reality is that our peculiar form of government in the United States continues to be a couple of things. One, it is the oldest continuous government in the world right now. And two, it is by far and away the most successful. And I realize that we're probably losing listeners. Both of them have probably left now because I'm saying positive things about the United States. And despite the fact there's a Democrat in the presidency, but of course I was saying positive things when there was a Republican in the White House too. But we just happen to live in what is, in my opinion, one of the best places in the world to live. Uh, there are some advantages to living in Europe as opposed to the United States, and there's some disadvantages. Many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all-wise. Indeed, it is said that democracy is the worst form of government except all the other forms that have been tried from time to time. That's the actual Churchill quote, which is nowhere near as flowing as democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. He just needs to work on yeah. the punchline a little, you know. Yeah, well, he wasn't good at that. That's why they, shortly after he made that speech, they kicked him out of the prime minister Because <laughs> yeah, he's not a very good peacetime prime minister. Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, this is, I mean, when, when we talk about democracy and how horrible it is, during a war, quite often you need people that aren't the touchy-feely types. And when you're not in a war, when it's time to reconcile, you don't want to have the hard-nosed guy making the treaty because that traditionally leads to more war later so you got all this stuff that you can't get in a dictatorship you get the ability to get the exact opposite of the guy that was just in there or gal that was just in there i mean if you put trump and biden in the same room well we've done that a few times there are massive differences between the two. And the fact that we can just go from one to the other and be, whoa, well, that was an interesting transition. Let's try something different. Um, and we might go back the other way. It could happen. This is our government. And if if Trump is reelected as our president under indictment and all the rest, he's still going to be our president. And when we said when Trump was president, when Biden is president, this is something, this is our version of politics as economists. Whomever is president is the one that we call president. Whomever is president is the one we give our respect to and all of our complaints about. So uh, I have heard from people, and this is in our brief forays into political statements like what we just did. I have heard people say, you, you just hate Biden. And on the same day, we've heard, you just hate Trump. Um, uh, our dislike for politicians is universal, and our like for politicians is universal. We try to look at the economic outcome of the policy as it stands instead of how we would have preferred it to stand, because that's how you give good advice to people. It's how you make good decisions. If you spend your life upset at someone in politics enough to mess up your own financial decisions because the person you wanted to be elected didn't get elected, you're just hurting yourself. You need to make a decision based on who's in office at the time and the policies that are coming out and that are already in place. I think this is the same advice you get from a tax attorney, from an accountant. The accountants don't go, well, I think they're going to cut taxes next year, so let's pay a little less taxes this year. No, that's, that's not, you got to go by the law. <laughs> <laughs> and 
for some people that makes us um, radical rebels from a po- party, uh, whether you insist on having the most communist form of government or the most populist form of government, which if you think of those two forms of government, they're not very different. Um, okay, that was that was my brief foray into politics. Um, and we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns a- about songs. Uh, we are uh, a a finance program, as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title. The personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program; it's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this on this station, fourteen hundred AM in Temple, since nineteen ninety six, we've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it, so we've been doing this a long, long time. And the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally and portfolio for, management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at two, five, four, nine, four, seven, 11, 11. You can reach that line tool free at one, eight hundred nine, one, four, seven, five, two, six. That's eight hundred nine, fourteen plan. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. 
Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>